You're listening to Happy and Holy, the podcast where scripture comes to life through a small group discussion. This season, we're taking it all the way back to the Hebrew Bible with a walk through 1 Samuel. And you get to be a fly on the wall to see what new things we learn with and from one another as we engage scripture and community. I'm your host, Kate Boyd. I'm a disciple maker, writer, and speaker who is making space in the church for Christians caught in the messy middle between conservative and progressive, between loving the church and leaving it. We love Jesus, love people, and work with God and each other for a better world. Welcome to the show. Are you disentangling your faith from the culture around you? The greatest tool in that journey for me was the Bible itself. You've probably noticed that here on the show, we love the Bible and we take it seriously, but that doesn't mean we always take it literally. But that also means that meaning can get a little complicated, but you don't have to let that overwhelm you. I've put together the Big Picture Bible Toolkit to help you understand how all of scripture fits together in one incredible story. Learn some new questions to ask to get at meaning without getting overwhelmed and see new connections between Old and New Testaments with a special Bible reading plan. If you're ready to get back to basics of your faith, the Bible is a great place to start and the Big Picture Bible Toolkit can help. Get yours today free at kateboyd.co slash Bible. On today's episode, we finally dive into the chapters, the first chapters of 1 Samuel. And we are going to talk about what God takes note of. We are going to imagine Samuel's life as a tabernacle dwelling toddler. And we're going to talk a little bit about what sin is and what shape it takes in the stories of 1 Samuel 1 and 2. And it was a really interesting discussion, and I look forward to sharing it with you. So let's go. Welcome, everybody, to our season about First Samuel. This is our first episode Woo-hoo. about First Samuel. Yes, it's very exciting. Um, and I'm with my co-hosts, Amanda and Robert. Let's go. And, yes. And we're, um, yeah, we're just going to kind of jump in because uh, there's, a, there's a lot to, there's a little, there's quite a bit to cover, actually, in these, like, two chapters. There were a lot of little stories. Um, so first Samuel one actually starts with the story of Hannah, which I feel like Hannah and Samuel, which I feel like is pretty, um, well-known Hannah is barren. Um, her husband also has another wife who has lots of kids and rubs it in Hannah's face and Hannah gets, um, obviously sad. She goes and she prays about it during the festival and then she sees Eli, who's the high priest judge guy. And he comes over and, you know, tries to admonish her because he thinks she's drunk. And she's like, no, bro, I'm not drunk. I'm just praying. Um, <laughs> and, and so then he's like, great, you'll be blessed. And she ends up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And then she ends up having it. She ends up, you know, pregnant. So we'll stop there first. <laughs> That's spoiler alert. <laughs> the way this is all coming out. I mean, this is, I it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's what I'm the story is. is. <laughs> no, it's great. No, it's, 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 it's accurate. It's exactly it. what the story is. It's just, yeah. it just sounds so. To be clear, know, Eli did not make her pregnant. She went home uh, and was with her husband. <laughs> I feel like that sort of got lost there. <laughs> In case you're wondering, that's not what happened. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, Amanda, what stood out to you in Hannah's story? <laughs> um, well, I was actually been thinking about something you said last week, Robert, um, and had to go back and reread the text around whether, right, was 
the perceived or the tension between Hannah and I'm not sure how to pronounce Panini. it. Panini. Panina? Yeah, Panina. Panini. Um, Panini? Right, was it? Let's just call her Panini. <laughs> was it real tension? Um, but then I, the version I had that said Panaya made fun of Hannah. So probably yeah. that tension was real, right? Like that wounding of here's this thing that I've wanted for so long. I can't have it. And here's somebody, yeah, rubbing that in my face. Mm-hmm. Um, and some yeah. stuff I was reading was even saying that it's possible that it's because Hannah was barren that her husband married another woman. And so it's sort of like extra, like he loved Hannah. We get that from the story, loved her a lot so much that he's like doing extra, right? But um, at the same time, he's like, but I got to do my thing. Like I got to continue the line. And so, yeah. and. Panini was like really, really taking that to her head. Oh, what feels so weird for me about this whole situation, the setup of the rivalry between them, is that I get it that this is a this is a patriarchal society where the value of women is having children and creating heirs. And you know, if you're if you're a woman and you want to have a, a child and you envision that for such a long time, like that super hurtful to have someone making fun of you. I just, I feel like it's a weird flex for Penaya, Penini. It's a weird flex for her to be like, oh, I'm able to have children in the desert without medication in the, the ancient world where everything is painful and like, I, and, and it hurts and my recovery is super hard and you can't go through that pain. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a woman. So <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, what that, if those things balance out, but I would just think that if I was in Hannah's position, I would be kind of like, I would rather not go through that. I mean, I famously have decided not to have children and I cannot, I cannot say that, you know, the childbirthing process did not factor into that decision personally. <laughs> like it just sounds horrible. <laughs> God bless all the women who do that. I, that sounds terrible, but I think too, um, like not just the patriarchal society, but that, Um, well, maybe it is because of patriarchy, but I think it's that, you know, women's value, their honor, right. Was in, was in being able to have children. And so, um, yeah, it's one of those, like, you can, you can flex that because even though it's hard, right. At least you are, you have the honor. And I think too, in this sort of society and you kind of get this, um, as we go through the chapters too, but there is this sort of like throughout the Hebrew Bible, this um, narrative that, you know, if you are righteous, things go well for you. And if mm. you, you know, and if you are not, things don't. And I think we see some of that in these stories too, um, which leads to some like really tricky uh theological dynamics I feel like Mm -hmm. um but there is sort of this sense of that in this story too because you know and even then if a woman wasn't able to have children it wasn't because there was like a medical thing right it was Mm. 
that God had closed her womb. Like it was a Mm. judgment Mm. in a way. And so there's a lot wrapped up like emotionally and mentally with Mm. this physical ability for a woman too, Mm -hmm. which I don't think we've completely escaped from, to be honest, but Mm -hmm. I also wonder about the, like this jealousy aspect too. this, right? Like, Naya probably sees that she is not the favorite wife. And so right. her being able to say, right, like the sense of when people are jealous, they strike out at one another. Mm-hmm. Um, they can pick up on your shame and, tr- yeah, try to exploit that. And so I just feels like this was not a good situation for anyone invo- involved. <laughs> Like a lot yeah. of a lot of family dynamic. Well, and Elkanah's not exactly helping either, right? Yeah. Like he's this like my favorite wife. You know, I, yeah, I love yeah. you. Let me give you the extra, even though you don't have all the babies, you know, to feed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think he's trying to mediate this. He's actually, I think he's trying to like be neutral, right, in the situation, but he's not actually doing anything to help. When I think he could probably mediate some of this a little better. It kind of reminds me of Abraham and Hagar and Sarah. The same sort of yes. thing happens. Yes. Right? With the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only that's when it's like that. the kids fighting and the Hagar's is sort of taunting Sarah and stuff like that. And um, Abraham's like, well, I don't know, whatever you want. <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> like, like, get it together, guys. Like, <laughs> you're supposed to be like helping people here yeah Yeah. i was getting like rachel leah vibes of like (laughs) thanks second favorite wife for giving me children but i actually like this woman better (laughs) totally and i think that's partly intentional because i i think the idea of her being a barren woman like it it reminds us of all those stories of the barren woman right and call back yeah i think there is a lot that they are building Mm -hmm off of so I'm, I'm not surprised that we sort of get those vibes from all of this hmm. you know that well I, I just had a thought like I just wonder if there, it, I wonder how it lands on the listeners in the first century church that there's like we said these these Rachel Leah vibes there's this um, I, I, I feel kind of like when we get to the the point where there's the dedication of Samuel, I get sort of Abraham Isaac vibes. And then we have later Jesus who we're learning was begotten of Mary and she wasn't barren, but she was a virgin. Um, I just kind of wonder how the first century readers or, or hearers of, of all of this would have heard those things and what kind of connections they would make. Mm. I mean, considering a lot of the earliest ones were Jewish people, I I think they would pick up on a lot of that. Um, And certainly things like this uh, would be called forth, like, you know, and and reappropriated into Christian theology versus Jewish theology by the New Testament writers. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think given that they sort of met at the temple or the synagogues before they got kicked out of all those places. Um, Mm. Their scriptures were the Hebrew 
scriptures. <laughs> you know, they didn't have the New Testament. And so mm. it was being formed in mm. that in that time. And so I would not be surprised if they had a lot of that, um, mm. those reference points, because it was pretty common for them. Mm. At least the Jewish ones. I'm not sure about how familiar the Gentile believers would have been. Yeah, what would that have sounded like if they're like, hey, we've seen these themes before. <laughs> these stories sound similar. But in the same way, it's what's really interesting too, um, something that I've learned over the last few years is that like a lot of the stories that we have in the Hebrew Bible are similar to stories in other ancient Near Eastern mm. like contexts. Um, and so they're not all... They are familiar sort of like structures, often with some twists on them, right? Mm -hmm. So like the creation story, similar to other creation stories, Mm -hmm. one of the main differences is that everyone is made in the image of God and is given the dignity of that and not just Mm -hmm. a king, right? Every person, male and female. So it's stuff like that, that, and even Abraham and Isaac, right? Like, Part of when you compare that to other stories, part of that is that Abraham or God stops that because that's not the kind of God that he is. Mm -hmm. But sacrificing your kid would not be out of the ordinary for the Mm -hmm. gods at the time. Mm -hmm. That's like, I don't actually require that. And I wanted you to know that. And it's kind of like a big gesture. And so I think stories like this would probably be somewhat familiar because they're similar tropes that are in other stories. Mm. Um, but there may be some twist that differentiates this God from others. Mm. I don't know what that is, but it's a good word. So, okay. So she is sad. Hannah's sad, obviously. And, and she's not hungry and she, and Elkanah's like trying to help her. Yeah. Um, but she gets up and, and goes to pray. And I'm trying to decide what it says about Eli that he can't tell whether she's praying or drunk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I think he's just a jerk. <laughs> like his first assault, like ask a question, my man, like, will you please step in and just say like, Hey, what are you doing? Or like, can I help you? Or are you okay? Like he just, she's, he sees her mouthing from a distance and he's like, oh great, she's drunk. I mean, I just, I don't know. Like it's just, there's an assumption there that I I feel like maybe let's just ask a question or two before you call judgment on (laughs) someone that you've never met before. But having said that, you know, we live in the age of the internet, so we're not that much more sophisticated today. Fair. My therapist brain goes to because late spoiler alert later on we learn that Eli's having some problems with his own family mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. maybe he just had an encounter with his sons they're not listening to him he's like oh I know I know how I can have some power I know how I can have somebody listen to me about this certain mm. issue here I come <laughs> <laughs> this is the situation I can fix I'm projecting this onto you wrong. yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, I mean, something I was reading was just like, it may be a sign that he's not actually very good at being, like, not actually that connected as a leader or not very good or, like, connected to God, which kind of makes sense as the story goes on, right, as we learn more about how his 
his kids are acting. Um, and I was like, wow, I just never thought of that before. You know, apparently it's unusual to pray silently. You would have been praying out loud, I guess. It's not unusual for a woman to be praying, but apparently praying silently was unusual. Oh, interesting. Um, so wait a minute. So, th- so they're not allowed to speak out loud and they're not allowed to pray silently. Got it. Okay. Cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. They made it in your head pray. pray out loud. Yeah. So I was reading in the Jewish annotated Bible. And so they were like, it wouldn't be unusual for a woman to be praying, but it would be unusual for a woman to be praying or for anybody to be praying silently. So I guess in the, in the context, it's totally normal. It would have been kind of normal, although she was there by herself rather than as part of like a, I don't know if there was like any sort of congregational gathering thing. Mm. Um, that's a question, but, uh, yeah. So I, it's just weird to me that like silent mumbling comes across as drunk, like as drunk. I mean, it might be weird, but drunk feels strong. Yeah. Right. And the fact that he, his, his children are schmoozing with the, the women in the community and like uh, those, those things, those are cool. I'm not going to correct that, but praying mumbling quietly over there in the corner. Like, no, we're not, not in our town, buddy. (laughs) We're going to fix that. Here, <laughs> and then she's like, "No, that's not me." And he's like, "All right, go in peace." Yeah. <laughs> like, <he just> <laughs> really, really sad. <laughs> With a blessing. Yeah. Cool. He'll do it. <laughs> My translation says, "In that case, cheer up. The God of it here grant the quest you have asked of Him." Oh my God! Oh man. <laughs> Uh. And then my favorite, which I was posting on Twitter today, and then, then the woman went to her quarters and ate and drank with her husband, and she was no longer sad. <laughs> yes, I feel better when I have food too. Sounds great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she had a burrito and the assurance of the Lord. What else do you really need? <laughs> she conceived and bore a son. Named Samuel, um, whose name means I have asked him of the Lord, which is interesting. So apparently some people think that this, this is, I don't think it's got a lot of traction, but some people think that this might be a birth story of Saul because Saul and Samuel have the same Hebrew consonants because they're from the same root word in Hebrew for ask. Um, So she's, so Samuel is like, I have asked of the Lord and Saul is sort of like a, um, like you asked for it kind of thing (laughs) or like to ask. Um, I remember doing a Beth Moore study and she was like, it's sort of a joke because it's like, you asked for it. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think a lot of people think that, but it is a theory that's out there. Um, but at the very least, because later on, there is some interplay between the potentially between the two that, uh, there is like a, it may be something to keep in mind as we move forward. So is the thought there that this is actually Saul's origin story and we're really learning nothing about Samuel's origin there? Like that, that the stories are just completely... Uh, Samuel's yeah, Samuel's I, origin is just excluded. 
basically. That's sort of like the gist I was getting is that this is like at least a, a Saul birth story, or maybe it's like Saul's birth mixed into Samuel's origin. Um, I don't know. It wasn't clear. They didn't talk about it much in the stuff that I was reading, but it was one of those things. I was like, that's just a really, that feels kind of out of left field, but <laughs> yeah. Maybe. You know, strangely though, I, I can get it. Like I, I, I feel like that yeah. makes a, makes sense in my brain because Samuel is just sort of like this facilitating character. Like, like we, there's great pains that are taken for the author of the story to explain how he came to be his, his mom was barren. And, you know, there's this story about them going to Shiloh and in the temple and, and all these things in the dedication, but then his, his exploits sort of, um, it's it's not like Elijah and Elisha, you know, like where he's like the kind of like the main character. Like his his exploits yeah. are s- sort of limited to, um, being a, a a mouthpiece and um casting judgment, finding David later on and anointing him. Like he's he's not sort of the center stage. So, it, it, I I could kind of see how it would make more sense for Saul, who is later a more significant character just from a literary perspective for this to be more about his origin. Yeah, I guess I can see that because it does feel like why spend this kind of space on a supporting mm. character. Like this mm. is this is main character energy, right? Like this mm. is a main character intro, but it's mm. used on someone that who is, you know, obviously he's he was the last judge of Israel. Like there's a lot to him, but there's yeah, he doesn't quite have the gravitas of like a Saul or a David, which becomes center stage later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Samuel's born. And then Samuel is weaned. And then they <laughs> take him up to the to be dedicated and give him to the Lord. Can we can we pause on Mween for a second? The oh, the, sure. uh, <laughs> the, the <laughs> sorry. Yes, Robert. <laughs> the new the new living careful careful careful. Okay, uh, the new living <laughs> translation says several years later that she returns with Eli after he's weaned, and so like is this two years? Are we thinking? Is this four years? I mean, I'm. I'm assuming it's, she's not yeah. taking an infant to the table to the temple. Yeah, it seems the stuff that I was reading says that it was maybe around that time, typically around three years, but it could be more or less than that. So yeah, he's definitely sort of like he's I don't a know, is that, he's is a that toddler. Toddlers? Yeah, is that toddlers? I don't know, like developmental stages. That's what struck me of like. I, I have a lot of toddlers in my life right now because that's just the the stage that I have friends in and that's the ages of their kids and to think about a mom taking her toddler I don't know we don't know how old Mm -hmm. Eli is but he has adult children and being like here you go here's my toddler (laughs) raise him up in the Lord right just kind of struck me as the serious part of me thinks about it it, from an attachment standpoint the funny side (sighs) of me thinks like what a hilarious thing to be like. Here you go. Here's a yeah. toddler. Go and take and care of like Andrew. Out of Samuel's hands, like Samuel doesn't have a choice in this. Yeah. Like, you get to see your mom once a year when she brings right, you a little right, coat. Right. 
nights and weekends, first, third, and fifth uh, Sunday of the month. Like, yeah. and, and this was the temple where Eli was a, a jerk. And Your mom. like, so, I mean, like, does it have to be this? Lo- are there no other locations, right? Like, are there, are there no other temples to which he can be taken? Like, I have so many questions. So this was the main place. So this is where they took the tabernacle. Do you think uh, Eli remembered? Like she just showed up one day and was like, years later, and he, like he thought it was just this <laughs> like, Does he even remember her? Who this? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. New toddler. Who this? I'm, so, I'm very curious. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and like. I don't know. He's not freaking out about it or anything. And so like, is this something that a lot of people, I guess it's not something a lot of people did. Cause it's like a, it's a really intense vow to take, but um, yeah. It's, yeah are, are there like, are there 10 toddlers? There, just walk- it, yeah. Just like running around. Are there other moms of three-year-olds that are like, I want to take my kid to the <laughs> temple too. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, is it like the Jedi Temple, like with the younglings, like they just drop their kids off? There's all these kids are just there, it's like, like the fire it's just a daycare. You know, of the, like, oh man, so yeah, I'm just thinking of you... yeah, toddler Samuel being all crazy. And it's weird because, like, I'm curious what it's like to grow up like that, especially. With, like, a notoriously bad priestly family. You know what I mean? Like, and kids maybe, are not great. <laughs> not great. How did that... How did that work? Was it just Eli and his sons? Or were there other, like, uncles, cousins? Was it... How big would the family be that was yeah. running the temple? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine it's, like the Levite tribe, right? Like, I don't think it's just like one family from the Levite. But there's, so it's probably like a clan kind of thing, like an old clan, not like a bad, scary clan. Um, (laughs) Right, careful, careful. Clan with a C, clan with a C. You know, like, I think, um, yeah, like, I know it can't just be them but I guess to skip ahead in the story, like he does seem to be living in the same space as them because of the way things happen. So I don't, I don't know. I'm very <laughs> curious about this arrangement yeah. on a lot of levels. While we have a moment, can we just, can we just take a moment to plug a, a drinking game that I think that we should play? So I, okay. I have a bag <laughs> of halls oh here and, and it doesn't have to be alcohol, you know, whatever your, your pleasure is, it could be vitamin, it could be like uh, water, it could be orange juice or something like that. But a, a great game for everybody listening at home that you can play is if you hear this sound, it's me digging into a bag of halls in order to try to satiate the, the pain in my throat that I've been dealing with for the last 10 months worth of Central Texas allergy season. And and it still hasn't passed. And I don't usually sound like Cookie Monster imitating Barry White, but here I am. <laughs> and, and so if you hear that sound, that's, that's if you want, you want to get vitamin C in your system really quick, you, you, you take a shot every time you hear that sound. Okay, sorry. There you go. I like it. Everyone stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> and 
on an, on another semi side note. So like verse 27 for this child, I have prayed how many like baby blankets have you seen that on in your life? A whole bunch. Mm. bunch. Okay. So yeah, she brings him to the temple. Eli's, I mean, I don't think Eli really says anything. It's just, <laughs> Here he is. No. just like drop him off. It is interesting. So apparently her husband <laughs> could have invalidated her vow. Like that's something that's like a right mm. that he could oh, do. Oh, he could and be he like. doesn't. Mm. Yeah. So like if you look at numbers 30, if a woman makes a vow, a vow, a vow, whether that's like a wife or a daughter the man in charge, right. Can mm. invalidate. So her father, or her husband can invalidate that if he doesn't think it's wise. So mm. it's interesting to me. Ooh, that riles me up. I know. Right. <laughs> well, I feel something oh. about that. <laughs> I feel some kind of way. So it's interesting to me that he, I, I don't know. I keep trying to decide like what it says about him, that mm. he respects her wishes. Mm even though he knows that a child would make her happy, Mm. but also that she made this vow. And so she's devoted to the Lord. And I don't know if it's his devotion to the Lord or his devotion to Hannah that is driving it, but Mm. um, it's interesting to me that he didn't intervene and invalidate her vow. Mm. Um, like, I'm really curious what was behind that, whether that was like he wanted to respect Hannah or like he still wanted Hannah all to himself mm-hmm. or, um, you know, I'm like, what are the brain dynamics of a person going through mm-hmm. that? I could see how maybe he would think. So now she's no longer barren, like the floodgates have been opened up. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, one for me, one for God, God gets the first one. You know, but now I'm gonna yeah. have more more children through her, and I do think. I mean, we've been laughing quite a bit, but I mean, I I do know uh, my wife has given us three beautiful children, and I know that it would just be devastating to to consider taking a child from your arms and then handing it over and just trusting yeah. it to a stranger. Um, and so there's, I do want to honor that. Um, mm-hmm that courage and that devotion and, and it kind of, and, and she's, she's giving her child, not just to anyone, but specifically to ministry and to the priesthood. And so I do kind of get like Mary vibes here where, you know, she, she has her son, Jesus, and she knows that you know, she's, or at least at some level, she knows that he's he's not for this world and not for her. And she's got to keep an open hand with him. And then eventually, of course, seeing his ministry grow and the betrayal and then seeing him, you know, crucified, tortured, and having to to give that to God. And um, man, yeah, just there's um, there's something special to be said about Hannah for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's part of the point of the story. Like, even if, if we are echoing Mary, right, she's chosen because of her devotion and faithfulness to God. And so I think there, Hannah is absolutely not the only barren woman who prayed this prayer, mm. but she is one of them that got it, it answered um, in the way that she was wanting it to be answered. Um and it doesn't even say that it was because of the vow that it was answered. It was just sort of like God answered the prayer. 
but she kept her vow. Mm. And so I think that is, there's a lot to be said for who Hannah is between the lines because of um, the way in which not only was it that she had the kid, but that she kept her word after having Mm. Samuel. And I think Mm -hmm. that shows sort of like the seriousness of her character before the Lord too. Yeah. And I, right. Like it also talks about the tension that she feels of the next year after he was born, the whole family went up and Hannah was like, let's just wait. Let's just wait until the baby's weaned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause I am at, yeah, that, that must've been heart wrenching, right? Like that conflict of feeling of, I want to honor my vow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish it didn't have to be this way. Mm. Yeah. Man, I feel like I've said that a lot in my life. <laughs> so in a way, Hannah is all of us having to give up the things that maybe we wanted for something. Uh. Mm. So when she leaves Samuel there, there's a really lovely psalm of praise. But then also some like jabs not so subtle jabs of, right like okay, stop acting so proud and haughty mm-hmm. don't speak with such arrogance oh i wonder who she's talking about oh yeah um go ahead well yeah i mean like at, at this point the only person that has been introduced to us as a, a true enemy in the story someone opposed to hannah is panina and so like this whole song is like, it's very much like shade. I feel like at her, like, I mean, she's like, now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you have rescued me. Um, stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't, don't speak with arrogance. The bow of the mighty is now broken. Like, dang, like, <laughs> like this, this is, I mean, congratulations. I, I like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like it, it, it it is a big deal in that she was barren and now she is having a child but it is also not like this life and death struggle you know with like the like a war where like there's you know a giant on the other side and i, I don't know maybe i'm i'm entering dangerous territory i probably should shut up well, as a as a no, as a recovering here's what's interesting recovering toxic I, male <laughs> what's interesting is this doesn't feel like it a, like it makes sense Right. The story. Like this is like a warrior mm-hmm. him. Um and at the end of it, so if you look at verse 10, one of the last couple of lines, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth, he will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. There's no king in Israel right now. Mm. So mm. either either this is prophetic or it's like a later addition put in the mm. in the mouth of Hannah. Mm. Which seems to be the consensus. Yeah, that um, would make more sense. I did because it doesn't fit. Like it is sort of like there are hymns like this from women. I sort of feel like Deborah, right, and Judges has this great mm-hmm. hymn. Um, of like so this sort of feel this has like that vibe, but yeah. it doesn't feel like it applies the Hannah situation at all. Right. Yeah, and yeah. then it has like it mentions these historical things that haven't happened yet and so there's like it's this weird i didn't even catch that Mm -hmm. it's it's a weird situation and so i don't know how to feel about that either because i'm like 
I mean, apparently, so somebody wanted it here. Yeah. So it's important that it's here, but it also doesn't make sense here. <laughs> you know, this would make me, this would make me really interested in this theory that, that, that we're actually talking about Saul's birth here because Ooh. I, this, yeah. this stuff would be more applicable if we're talking about a prophetic, um, mm-hmm. a prophecy of, of a king. Hmm. That's true. Interesting. Maybe that's where they sort of get it. Get the idea. Yeah. But it is sort of, it is all this like, you know, there is no God like ours. Yeah. Don't be arrogant or haughty there. It's sort of like the Baron has born seven. So it is sort of like, there is this victory in that. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. Yeah. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. Like that's not, that is not what it was like in, in the OR room when like when we had our children. Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. Goodness. I mean, it's probably, it's probably not pretty, but I don't feel like it's quite that dramatic. You're cursing all of your enemies. Well, yeah, you're probably doing that. I mean, again, haven't been through it. Don't plan on going through it. I do think it's interesting then that it's talking about all these like bad people and wicked people because now we're going into Eli's sons. And so I think it's kind of also setting that piece up. Like these are foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe these are the consequences of wickedness um, from the Lord. But it does. But I guess they were sort of like their reputation was bad. So I suppose it's possible that Hannah heard all of that about them and this sort of in judgment on them. But it doesn't feel like I feel like Hannah's a nice person, like a a too nice person. And so this feels like it wouldn't. And maybe that I mean, I barely know Hannah. I know that. (laughs) But I just feel like she's nicer than this. You're the therapist. I don't Amanda, know. what's your read on Hannah? I'm connecting to my own what's, like what's your diagnosis? secret petty part of myself. That would be <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> and I consider myself a nice person too. So maybe that's like, that's my human side. <laughs> so we can see, we can see the pettiness, the pettiness it, within the praise, right? Yeah. Of God. Yeah. Like she's definitely thankful to the Lord, but. She is also. I want to be humble, but I also told you so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's good. Anything else from her prayer before we move on to Hophni and Phineas? Yeah, let's talk about these bad boys. Yeah, so okay, we're moving into this sort of section where we sort of see Samuel and the sons of Eli contrasted. So I think they're supposed to be like a stark difference between them and the way that they're being set up from a character standpoint. And so, yeah, what are, what are the wicked deeds <laughs> of Eli's sons? So it talks about the fact that they, they had no respect for the Lord right off the bat. Yeah. At least in the, the translation I'm looking at is the new living translation. Um, so verse 12, it says, now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. And then the yeah. first example I like it gives. The name, is, sca- I like the word scoundrel. Can we, that yeah. is like a great word. You Underutilized scam- word. <laughs> <laughs> Up to no good. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, let's bring back Scoundrel. I like that. <laughs> I like it. And, you know, um, I was expecting kind of like, it's been a while since I've read Samuel. So, like, you know, it's, it's like, okay, there's Scoundrel. So I was expecting to hear that they're cheating people and that they're robbing. And it's like, and, and so what they would do is they would go whenever someone was cooking meat for the sacrifice, they would go and get the best part scoundrels like <laughs> like i i get it i get it i i understand the you know the but it's it, it's it's funny that that is the is sort of like the first thing that the author decided the introduction to, to them yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it must have been right like a big deal that yeah like they take the best part of the brisket every time mm-hmm. so what it sounds like is um that so when it comes to the meat they're supposed to let all the fat like it's a fat offering so they're supposed to let all that fall off mm. and so essentially they were taking it before the lord had his share mm. and so they just sort mm. of like they had they had no regard for the lord they're like it doesn't mm. matter he's not gonna eat it we're gonna take it mm. um and, I and so read, they were taking it first yeah the three-pronged fork was also an instrument used in sacrifices. And so they were. Mm. Yeah. It's like, you know, if it's in fire, you got to move stuff around mm-hmm. like your fireplace poker. Yeah. Your grill fork or whatever. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I guess too, from the perspective of those who are trying to offer the sacrifice, like they're, they're, they're ultimately stealing from God, but there's this injustice of like, you are taking what I have preserved for God and depriving me of my ability to dedicate it to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're stealing, yeah. you're stealing my offering. And so it's not just like you're, you're, it's not that you're stealing from me. You want to take my, my cloak or something. That's one thing, but like, I'm trying to give my best to God here and you're actually taking the thing from my hands before I can offer it to the Lord. I, yeah, I, I, I can get that. That would be pretty upsetting. And there almost seems to be the spirit of generosity, right? In verse 16, where it says the man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must burn for like must burn first. And the service says, no, give it to me or I'll take it by force. Yeah. I was like, they're going to get it later, but they're like, no, we're going to take it now. Um, Mm. And so I think that is an interesting point. Like, all the commentators made a big deal about, you know, them taking their portion before God, but they didn't really talk about what it means, what it could potentially mean for the other people like who are offering it, mm-hmm. which yeah. I mean, I think the Lord honors the heart. Right. But um, mm-hmm. that if this is part of their like cultic sacrificial system, that's supposed to like mm-hmm. help bring them into right relationship with God. Yeah. And they're take, they're defiling that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's efficacy there, then, you know, potentially they're messing with that. If that's how mm. it works, um, yeah. you know, whether, whatever that looks like, you know, I think that is, so they're not just messing with their, they're not just sitting themselves. They're messing with the potential remedy to send for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like they're, they're interfering with the, the the pathway that the that these people have to God. Like I've got crops that need to be tended to. Um I have family members that need healing. I and, and you are screwing with that, my man. Like that's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I, I can get that. 
Not Samuel. Samuel's a good guy. Um, He's the Lord's helper. That's I what love my that translation it's like, says. His mother made him a little robe. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the priest. So cute. Oh. Um, that must have been yeah. really special for her to, yeah, for right? Like, what a special task for her to do that for her son. I know. Um, and then I guess he was he was a good enough guy that Eli's like, well, may the Lord give you more of these these guys. <laughs> this one's not bad. Um, and so they did. And I love the idea, like in 21, mine says, and the Lord took note of Hannah. Like, mm. that's a really sweet line. Mm. With all that the Lord it could be doing in the world at that moment, mm. he took note of Hannah. And I just love that. Again, it gives me those Hagar vibes, right? Where she's like, you were the God who sees me. Yeah. Um, and I, that's like one of my favorite things from the entire Bible. And so I love that that's like a, little note and unlike the sons who had no regard for the Lord Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord but then Eli gets old I was very old and yeah that's just that's the whole sentence (laughs) and he heard all the things that his sons were doing oh man you know, oh, yeah. this, so this, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Like he's very old. His sons are seducing the young women is the, is what I'm getting from this translation. And so like, did he have children in old age or did, or are these like grown men that are acting like boys? So I think they're grown up, but I also think, or at least they're of age. But I also think there's something potentially more insidious here. So they're like the women at the entrance to the tent of meeting, which could potentially be could potentially be prostitution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be that because they're part of right the system of worship and guarding that holy space, it could be that they sort of like borrowed that practice mm-hmm. from you know, the surrounding religions that practice some of that. So it could, it might just be not that they were laying with them, but they even sort of mm. they're maybe Introduced. set that up or allowed it in the mm. first place. So there's a lot of layers to that. Mm. Eli's reaction is weird. Not that like being mad is normal, but he's like not mad about the sin he's mad about the reputation oh yeah good point which i think goes back to like i guess eli is not that great of a of a priest like what is happening that he's more concerned for the family name than he is for the service of the lord to be protected and done by them or even for their fate in that like messing with the stuff of the lord it's clearly very serious, you know, because it was the will of the Lord to kill them, which mm. I don't I don't know if we want to get into that. But um, <laughs> it's really like if they sin against the Lord, they can't intercede for other. They cannot do their job. Yeah. If they are out 
sinning, which kind of goes back to that sacrifice thing, right? They're not able to. Anyway, I Eli's reaction was really weird to me. I, I do like the wisdom of verse 25, where he says, if someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? Mm. And I feel like that's that's powerful wisdom, just generally speaking, but it also feels like an alley-oop to here comes Jesus to take on the role of the inner, the, the, the one that's mm. mediating between mm. us and God. And, you know, mm-hmm. he just dunks it and, um, it, it, it is, <laughs> it, I mean, but it, it, it does sort of strike me as having like this, um, like maybe this is kind of like the moral of the, or like the, the, the point of this passage or like of this section is like, mm. you're sinning against God and what you're doing here. And so that's, I, I can't, I can't fix that for you. You, you've got to like the audience maybe should be reading this and hearing that, you know, if you find yourself in the position you're sitting against the Lord, if you find yourself in the position that you're causing other people to stumble and and that you're taking the best from them and that you're offending um, the, the sensibilities of the the people that are trying to worship the Lord with all their heart, like you're you're actually sitting against God. Mm. Yeah. That's intense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really puts things like that in perspective, right? Like, um, I don't know. I, I find myself in myself a lot of tension about talking about sin because I do believe that God is a loving God. And I do believe that he doesn't merely see me as a sinner and he doesn't hate me because of my sin. Um, before or after Christ. And so I, sometimes I struggle with passages like this because it does seem there is obviously a seriousness to sin. And I think that's fair. Right. Um, and so I, but I wrestle with the implications of that seriousness. Maybe in, in practice, um, especially in unsafe spaces, or like what does that theology being the overriding theology do to a space or a tradition or a church um, to only be focused on the ser- seriousness of sin? And mm. I don't know that I have all that worked out, but this sort of passage in the Old Testament is really hard to walk through knowing that they've sinned against the Lord. There was obviously they did so flagrantly and often and with warning and without warning to the point that they also messed with other people's ability to connect with God. Um, and that, and it was the will of the Lord to kill them according Mm. to the passage. And like, that is really, I don't know. I don't know how to think about that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so one of the things that, I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole pretty far, far, but when, when you get into like some of the, um, theological nuances of like what we take from the new Testament when we're reading Paul in particular and what we extrapolate to believe, um, 
for example, like the idea that, um, that there are like, uh, Calvinism or double, double, double predestination, like things like that. People really wrestle with the scriptures that are the, the foundation for that. And like, one of them is like this idea that, um, that like God in his, like, what if God in his patience has, has allowed someone to, to be destroyed? Um, and, and what I take from that is like, if you watch shows like uh law and order, like where, and this is, you know, what I, my mind does as a lawyer, criminal defense, a lawyer, there are some times <laughs> mm-hmm. where like the police have a sting operation and like the there's a, a confidential informant on the inside and the police, you know, plant that person and let them gather evidence and the the bad guy is doing the stuff. And the at any point in time the police could come in and say, Okay, now gigs up, we got what we need, let's take this case to the district attorney. But like the the district attorney in the show is always kind of in the background saying, like, no, but like we need more. And so it's like, you know. Is is it enough that this guy goes up to the doorstep of the house and rings the doorbell and does a special knock and the guy answers the door? Like, no, we need more. And so, like, okay, is it enough that like he goes inside and there's dope everywhere all over the house? No, we need more. Okay, is it enough that we go inside the back room where they're packaging the, the stuff up and you know and, and exchange money there? Nope, we need more. Okay, is is it enough that like and so they just like there's this restraint that just lets lets it keep going at any point in time, there's opportunity for the quote bad guy to step out of the situation and say, I, this isn't what I want, but like, they're just allowing this hole to be dug so deep that it's the, the case is airtight. It's irredeemable. And so mm-hmm. I kind of see like shades of that, just, by the way, not trying to just do a drive by on Calvinism real quick, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but like this, just this idea of like, there, like God is a God of grace, but like th- just that, like the, the, his restraint in allowing us to go for so long um and not and and uh, hopefully choose repentance right but but to give to give us enough rope to either save ourselves or to hang ourselves with and you know without Jesus we we would inevitably we would hang ourselves without and by that I don't just mean without his redemptive work but I mean by without that that understanding in our heart and our mind our ideology we would just we inevitably would just keep doing wrong which would lead ultimately to our destruction so i kind of see shades of that in in this Mm -hmm. yeah so what one thing i'm learning in hebrew is that there's a few different words for sin like it translated as sin often in the bible um and two of the well Three that I've looked at and one thing that I've been studying. So one is just sort of like iniquity and wrongdoing. Um, another sometimes gets termed as transgression, but it's the word for rebellion. Um, and another one, um, I want to say it's something like, well, there's an analogy that happens in one of the things where it compares like sin to sickness, like an affliction, a plague almost. And so I don't necessarily want to throw that in as a word 
can't remember off the top of my head how that's used exactly, but it sort of struck me that there are sort of these multiple dimensions to sort of like what we could call sin. And, and something that also struck me a couple of years ago is just this idea that I don't know that there really is personal sin. I think that sin mm. in actuality is communal in some way, mm. whether that is in our relationship with God or that it changes who we are in a way that affects the people around us, even if it's not a direct sin against other people. And so there, I think they sort of have this very flagrant way of like going, like it's very obvious in Phineas and Hoffman's case, how their sin is affecting other people and even affecting those people's ability to relate. And so it, it is sort of interesting to think of the effects of, sin and all of that and like I've really sort of come to I don't want to say like but at least resonate with the idea of rebellion right as a as a sin framework in some ways or at least exploring that because I do sort of feel like if the quote-unquote law or teaching that was handed down is sort of this way of creating a community of human flourishing for everyone and you don't do that. It's a rebellion against, you know, the the design, right? Of mm. how it should work, which affects other people and it affects you. But it is a choice to do that. Like it's not a um I don't like I think maybe you could sin accidentally, but you then moving forward, right, would know and you wouldn't do that. And so I think there's stuff there, but there is sort of this like posture of rebellion at which there are lines, right, that mm. are drawn. But it is yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm weirdly interested in like the nature of sin right now. And so I'm like mm-hmm. mulling a lot of things around and stuff like this is like, oh, this is interesting. That is interesting. It is. Yeah. But, but it would land us in a space where like it is so bad that God's like, not only are they going to die, mm-hmm. but your whole priestly line, Eli, mm-hmm. is going to go away. It's not going to be a thing. Someone more worthy is going to get it. Which I'm yeah, just realizing now, right, this section, again, kind of has that mirror of Saul and David. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of like, we're going to, you're no longer going to be priest and someone else is going to be rise, like raised up in your place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely got those vibes too, like in, in verse 32 in particular. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Malcolm Foley. He's one of the pastors at our church. And one of the things that he constantly reminds us of is, at least at, in our congregation, is is he says that our sin is personal, it's communal, and it's cosmic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I can see shades of of all of those here in this story. You know, like when when we're looking earlier or Eli's even warning his sons, like who's going to mediate for you if you're, if you're sinning against God, but then like the sin doesn't stop with just them, right? Like it affects this whole family line and, and mm. Eli's sin, um, which is j- essentially just letting his sons run um, rampant through the town, just like, you know, run amok um, and, and cause all these problems. Um, it's communal. And, and in fact, it, their sin in and of itself, it doesn't just affect Eli and their family, but you know the people that are making the offerings, and then these young women that are being defiled by what, what their actions are, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and then of course, there, like you were saying, Kate, like just our the way that things were set up, the structure that God intended, the the cosmic aspect of it, um, as as was intended. Um, you know, there's just these levels that I think I I don't think sin ever stops at just us. Um, mm-hmm. I think that even the sins that we think that are just personal is I think that's there's someone that's always yeah. someone else that's always affected. Someone's affected by them, yeah. other than you, mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also an in, it was okay. So I didn't know this, but reading some of the stuff I was reading, apparently Hockney and Phineas are Egyptian names. Mm. And so the comparison to Pharaoh is sort of like doubly there. Oh, their names are Egyptian. So you get sort of those, those hard, hardened heart vibes, you know? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. They wouldn't listen to their father. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe yeah. like the church is this, hearing this is saying like, you know, they're recalling like, Oh, the Egyptians still haven't learned. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> Don't be like the Egyptians. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad news. Okay, anything else before we do takeaways? You know, there or yeah, we sort of glossed over that last bit, but I think there because there's a lot in there. But I think there was a lot of. I think we just sort of like be repeating some of the stuff that we were talking about. Okay, takeaways. What what did you learn? What is um, different? For you, what are you going to do with the information you have um, based on what we saw here, Robert? I think that sure. (laughs) I I I think an important takeaway for me is just realizing the way that this. I think that we we talk about these stories, and I think that we tend to talk about particularly Old Testament stories um, historically, matter-of-factly, and just quickly, um, and we learn them so young that we don't go back and we and don't really inspect them and interrogate them the way that we do New Testament stories. And so um, we just take for granted, for example, that there was an ark and that God destroyed all of the earth except for the, the chosen few that were inside of the ark. And like, no big deal. And we paint it on the nursery walls and it's, you know, it's the ark and it's, you know, it's Noah and it's the animals two and two. I mean, there's a rainbow there, Robert. Right. Happy story. Right. So like in the same, <laughs> yeah. So um, in the same way, when we're reviewing this story, I think that we're just, we just kind of pass right by Hannah, you know, and um, just at her role um, how much value she has in the eyes of God, but um, in terms of the story arc, she's just kind of um, she's just sort of a an uh, I don't know an embryation uh, or what's the I don't know what the word, but a a, a chamber for um, for Samuel to 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 be carried in and, and born from, um, but she she has just this desperation in in the position that she has in society where she just, there's no sense of worth. She's not adding anything to the value of the community um, because she's, she's barren. 
and she's despised by um, Panina. And um, so then, you know, she, and she goes to the religious leader and, and he makes fun of her and accosts her and ridicules her and insults her. Um, You know, the very person that, that should be uh, safe for her um, is, is also, you know, causing problems for her. And so then God does this incredible thing by giving her this child. And she is faithful to, to give that child back to the Lord and to take him to Eli and to allow him to be raised. And despite all the junk that Eli has going on with his family, this child still ends up um, growing up and becoming um, a blessing. And so um, I, I don't know. I just want to applaud Hannah and honor her faithfulness in the face of so much junk. And that I think that we just sort of yada yada over as we're looking at these stories because we've been taught to just sort of like, oh yeah, that happened. And we don't really think twice about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think as a theme that will recur is sort of this uh, picture of, you know, the lowly person being elevated by mm-hmm. God and Hannah's sort of the start of that. Um, and I think the trend will continue throughout the book, but it is, I, I love that um, God sees the people that nobody else sees or values. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we get um, from the stories of women like Hannah mm-hmm. in the Bible um, and other people. But I think it is really evident in some of these like barren woman stories that we've alluded to. Um, and so it's really interesting not only how sometimes it feels like there's just like one story that just gets repeated over and over, but maybe we need that story so mm-hmm. many times. Um, but that all the time it's that God is faithful to even these people who nobody else wants or cares mm-hmm. about. And I, <laughs> um, that's, um, he doesn't just, you know, value the, quote-unquote, high-value people mm-hmm. makes people high-value um, just by nature of them being around and he values them. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Amanda, what's your takeaway? Yeah, kind of similar to what you just said around right that theme of God noticing and I yeah, I think I've struggled with this concept. And I think especially in our Western Christianity or American Christianity, there is this emphasis on, right, like that individual personal relationship with God. God has a plan for you specifically. He's going to answer these prayers this way, um, which has not always been my case. And I guess wasn't Hannah's case either, because I'm guessing this wasn't the first time that she had prayed for this to happen. Mm. And so I think that's part of like the doubts and questions in this season of like, what does, does God notice just us as communal, us, us people, or does he notice us specifically? But I think when you said that, like your translation said something like God took note of Hannah. And in my head, I translated that to like, God took note of Amanda. And Mm. 
like that hits my spirit in a really interesting way that I want to be curious about of like, okay, does that feel true? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that true? (laughs) So I think that's what I'm going to take away. I'm going to ponder that question. Mm. Yeah. It's good. I, yeah, I think I'm just, as a person who is, you know, very involved in a lot of things, I think I'm really sort of like convicted and curious about the sons of Eli and the ways in which they um, interfere with the holiness of other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that there's this sense of, and I, I mean, we could talk at length um, about the ways in which we may have seen that in um the churches we've been a part of or the complex of the churches that we've come out of um, and what that looks like. But just sort of this, like, I always, and maybe this is a perfectionist thing that I'm probably, because I'm worried about it, I probably don't need to worry about it kind of thing or need to worry about it less. But I do think there is sort of like this awareness that, we need to have not just of like sort of like what y'all were saying that we think of like there's the personal like the personal aspect of our relationship with God is most important but I think the ways in which we interact and lead other people to God or um may interfere um with other people's holiness or path to God because of our unholiness our rebellion our hard-heartedness like, I just want to be really aware and examine that in my own life as I move forward in a lot of different ways. So I think the seeing is part of that. But I also am like trying to become increasingly self-aware about myself in some of those categories. And even how my perfection, like like my desire for, for, for perfection may be interfering with that too, right? It's sort of a double-edged sword in the sense of like, if I try to be too put together... In that way, I might be interfering as well because it's sort of like a false picture of who I am and what it might be to be a follower of Jesus and a lover of God. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of dimensions of just like learning to think communally about the ways in which I interact with God and what my interactions with God and other people and how that all affects each other, I think, is an area maybe it's not a takeaway, but it's like an area to continue to ponder. Like you were saying, Amanda, I think maybe it's just like a question to keep sitting with and marinating on as we go. It's good. It's really good. Anything else you guys feel like needs to be said or you want to, I just want to thank you for this opportunity because I like, honestly, it's, it's bringing life to places that were otherwise is kind of emotionally dead in me, you know, mm. just sort of like, yeah, first Samuel, you know, about this story. <laughs> you know, categorize it with Noah and the flood, you know, and the ark. And, you know, you just, and you move on. Um, but it's, it's really good to explore and to draw out these, these themes that are still relevant for us today. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't say, I probably have read these chapters before, but I didn't remember any of these, any of these first two chapter the stories. Details, I know the stories that I remember started chapter three. <laughs> Right. 
Yeah. Tune in next week. Well, and I think it sort of goes back to like what we were saying before, like how Samuel's sort of a facilitator. So like Hannah like gets skipped over. And so we just sort of like jump to Samuel because through Samuel we get to Saul and we get to David. And so I was kind of glad that we Hannah wasn't coupled with like another one of those like big character stories because I feel like it mm. she deserves attention. And mm. so it was nice that she got some attention. And yeah, I mean, these things, these conversations are as much for me as they are for anybody because I love them. And I appreciate you guys being here and you being willing to sift through things and sit through some questions, maybe that we don't have answers to (laughs) and to just be comfortably uncomfortable with the Bible. So thank you. And uh, yeah, see you next time. Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. I hope that you got as much out of it as we always do from these conversations. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player to help more people find the show and learn along with us. And don't forget to find and follow us on social media. All our links are in the show notes and I can't wait until we see you next time. Bye-bye.